Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. America and happy Wednesday, the day after the New Hampshire primary, the day after Donald Trump won in unprecedented fashion the first two primary elections of 2024. No modern day Republican in the history of this country in a contested non-incumbent race, meaning that all the people running are not currently incumbents for the presidency, has ever won Iowa and New Hampshire back to back. And Donald Trump did both above 50 percent, despite the fact that two governors Uh, Republican governors who had big, successful machines in those states were lobbying against them. Kim Reynolds in Iowa, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, and Trump came out victorious. First in Iowa with a large field, then in New Hampshire with a one-on-one race with Nikki Haley. Ultimately, the president won with about 12 points about where we were projecting yesterday he would end up. There is some history to this. This hasn't been done before, right? I think that's important. I also think there is a little bit of a mirage. Nikki Haley, uh, some people were hyperventilating last night. Nikki Haley's people among them. Oh my gosh, she, she outperformed. She did really great. Watch out. This is momentum. She's got into Donald Trump's lead. Not so much. Why do I say that? What really happened in New Hampshire is because Joe Biden stepped off the ballot, didn't want to be part of New Hampshire, wanted South Carolina to be the first primary, wouldn't participate in it. It allowed and gave license to independents who might otherwise vote in the Democratic primary to cross over and vote in the Republican primary. And those unaffiliated independent voters broke Nikki Haley's way in a big way. And they were a much larger turnout in the Republican race than we've seen before. In fact, 6% of the people in New Hampshire's race yesterday said they were Democrats. That's pretty important, right? Really, really important. So the lead with probably without that sort of Democrat independent, I've got nothing to do because Joe Biden's not running mindset, probably made the race look closer than it really was. 75%, three quarters of Republican voters in the Republican primary preferred Donald Trump over Nikki Haley. What does that mean? It means there are there are states coming up where a crossover is not possible, where Joe Biden's going to need the vote to secure the, the nomination. And Nikki Haley can't count on that. And you look at the gap when those voters are taken out and Donald Trump has a commanding lead, including in her home state of South Carolina. So by the time we get to South Carolina on February 8th, I believe it is, Donald Trump will have won Iowa, check, New Hampshire, check, and the Nevada caucus, which is still two weeks off, but he's going to win it because Nikki Haley chose not to compete there. He'll be 3-0, and and he's up 30.2% in the average polling and as high as 33% in some polls in Nikki Haley's own 
home state. And I think that that confirms what Scott Rasmussen told us a week or two ago. This race is over. Put a fork in it. Donald Trump will be the nominee. Today, we're going to dig into that question a little bit more. At the top of the show, Scott Rasmussen graciously agreed to come back. He's got some great polling on elites and education I want to get to because you've never heard this polling before. It's never been done this way before. Very educative, very telling of where the American people are in higher education, high school teachers, and so forth. But in elites, uh, elitism in America, which seems to dismiss the vast masses of us in America to its own detriment. But also, I want to get inside the numbers. What do we learn, not learn from Iowa, New Hampshire about the general election? Probably not as much as we would have thought. I think it's still a long way off to know. But I will say this, the most important trend line in Iowa, New Hampshire, besides the fact that Donald Trump is firmly in control of the Republican Party right now, is that the border, immigration, illegal immigrants, exceeding the concern about a very unstable economy. I don't think a lot of people would have guessed that. What does it mean? It means that people are absorbing the news from just the news and Fox News and the places that do cover the border and don't try to hide it. And the mainstream media has not been able to hide the border. Secondly, it means that Donald Trump has, as he often has, found an issue that the elites in Washington did not see right away as the prevailing issue of the election. He's done it again. And that's why he's been talking up the border and border security. He understands that people equate the border with all those people they know who died from fentanyl poison, that they equate the border with all the extra increase in crime, the the smash and grab break-ins of homes and at, at stores. Donald Trump had a better barometer than I think a lot of his challengers in the Republican campaign. Clearly, I think more than a lot of the Democrats, including Joe Biden, have estimated. I think that may be the biggest trend line. So we're going to tackle that. Scott Rasmussen is going to join us at the top of the show. Then we're going to bring in Liz Harrington, the national spokeswoman for the Trump campaign. She's going to help us understand where Donald Trump goes next. Is this tricky Nikki? And does he attack Nikki Haley relentlessly? Took some pokes at her last night. Or does he go, Nikki who? She's not relevant. Why am I even wasting time? I'm focused on Joe Biden. Hopefully Liz Harrington will give us a little insight to that. And then we'll finish up our show because it is Wednesday. So it's AMAC Wednesday. The Association of Mature American Citizens sponsors a segment every week on the show. It's one of my favorite conversations. And of course, Bobby Charles will be here. We're going to talk about the courts, the weaponization, the elections, and also what happened at that boot camp for boomers last week in Florida. I told you we'd give you a follow-up. You get it today from none other than the national spokesman for AMAC and my good friend, Bobby Charles. He'll wrap us up in the third block of the show today. Now, remember, if you want to join AMAC because you like Bobby, because you like Rebecca, because you like the conversations I get to have on this show with them, if you like getting discounts on products and services and travel, if you like getting civic engagement opportunities to be a better patriot and support your country, AMAC offers all of that. It will pay for itself immediately. But most importantly, most importantly, it is a place where it isn't a service. It isn't AARP a service. It is a community of like-minded Americans. If you want to join it, like I did, match me on my five-year five-year membership that I have there, go to AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. You get a big discount. That's a great deal. We'll mention that again when we're with Bobby, but a big shout out to one of our key partners on this great show. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Scott Rasmussen right after these messages. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. 
Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As I said at the top of the show, a lot of learnings from last night's data, a lot of mischief in the New Hampshire primary, not unexpected. Still a pretty convincing win for President Trump and historical in proportions of winning both Iowa and New Hampshire back to back. But the real question now is not what's going to happen to the end of primary, because it's pretty clear that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. The real question now is what early data points are we getting from voters about where their head is, what the issues are, and where, what they think about Donald Trump on round three of Trump running for the presidency. I thought I'd bring in one of the most talented political strategists and pollsters I know. He gets it right, and he sees things that a lot of other people don't see in the data. Joining me right now, Scott Rasmussen. Scott, great to have you on the show. Great to be back, John. And, and uh, you know, we did say last week after Iowa, the signs were that the race is over, and, and uh, New Hampshire just confirmed it. Um, you know, when you ask about what this uh, says for the, the general election, um, one of the things that really irritates me about the political world is they want to overanalyze things that aren't worthy of it. Uh, you know, it's like every time there's a special election, they try to read way too much into it. Yeah, this will happen in November based on what happened today. You're right. Never happens that way. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is. Uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, it's it's wrapped up in legend. Uh, but the truth is, um, especially in New Hampshire, uh, every every time is different. Um, if there had been a competitive Democratic primary, if President Biden was running, uh, Donald Trump would have won by more, because some of the you know, about forty plus percent of the uh, New Hampshire electorate are independent. 
but most independents lean one way or the other. And if there was a Democratic primary, a lot of the Democratic-leaning independents would have gone and voted in that. Um, and so you really can't compare this. And, and let's be blunt. We haven't had a former president running in this way ever, uh, you know, in the modern history. So so I don't think there really were a lot of detailed lessons. Uh, I think what we've seen in both cases, Donald Trump has enthusiasm from the base. Um, he's it, the independents and they weren't as strong on him. Uh, but the guy he's running against also isn't doing very well with independents. So we're back to what we've known for a long time. We have two candidates who are running for president, uh, a race that most people didn't want to see as a rematch. Uh, both of them have some unpopularity. Both of them have some some negatives. Um, and that probably means it's going to be a close election. Yeah. Imagine that after the last uh, couple. <laughs> We're going to do it again. Um, That's right. Yeah. So uh, there were a couple things that uh, struck me last night in the exit polls. And again, you never know 100% of the exit polls are accurate. Uh, but it looked like uh, women split evenly for Trump and Haley in a two-person race. I think some people were thinking maybe women would outperform for Haley over Trump. Anything to read from that? Or is it just an anomaly of New Hampshire? Um, you know, it probably has more to do with the fact that most of the women voting uh, were Republican women. Um, and so the bat, you know, this isn't a, a, a total random sample of New Hampshire voters. Uh, one of the other things that we miss when we start talking about groups like, you know, uh, women or Hispanics, these groups are not monolithic. It is true that on balance, women are more likely to vote for a Democrat than a Republican. Uh, but that's the difference is only on the margins. And the difference is especially pronounced among single women, uh, not older married women in, in the type who would show up for a primary election in New Hampshire. Um, but a lot of times we, you know, we make these statements, these bold statements, well, this is a rural state and this is going to happen here. Um, everything in politics and especially in this election cycle is going to depend not on who wins the rural areas or who wins the urban areas, because we know that. It's going to be the margins they pile up on both. Um, you know, in Michigan, are, are the Muslim communities going to just stay home rather than because of they're unhappy with President Biden on uh, the Middle East? Uh, and, you know, is the turnout in the suburbs going to be matched by turnout in inner cities? Uh, and these are things we can't possibly answer today, and we don't have real good hints. Yeah. I think if there was one trend in the first two elections that was surprising to me, it's that the border is higher in the voters' concern uh, base than the economy. I would have guessed they were pretty even, but 10-point difference last night, at least in the Fox poll and in the CNN poll. Second straight uh, state, two very different regions, middle Midwest, Northeast, both very far from the southern border. Uh, that may be a trend line that says something about where where we're headed into the fall, no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, not just from those two results, but from everything we're seeing in the polling data. Um, you know, people are connecting uh, the border crisis with the fentanyl crisis. They are seeing weaknesses in national security from that connects the border problem to what's happening in the Middle East or Ukraine. You know, there's some general fears that are going on. Uh, when you have phenomena 
like um, black Democrats suing their city over the migrant crisis. That's something that tells you this is a huge issue. And and I think one of the one of the reasons it's a big issue is uh, the political elites don't see it as a big issue. And many Democrats um, want to propose a solution that would would not please most voters. Uh, And so all of a sudden you've got this situation that the Democratic Party is having a hard time grappling with. Uh, Nothing is being done and it's it's moving up as a decisive issue. Uh, When you talk about the economy, it's always like a number one or two issue, almost always number one. But the things they say are bothering them aren't as clear cut as, as they are on border security. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's really becoming clear now. And you've been saying this for several months. I think we had you on back before Christmas and you had the same trend line. And it's really beginning to bear itself out as people go to the polls. It's kind of kind of fascinating. Uh, you do some of the most innovative and impactful polling of anyone. You ask questions that others never dare ask or don't think of asking. You had one of my favorite today. I, I always follow you on Twitter. And folks, if you aren't following Scott on Twitter, you're making a big mistake. Scott W. Rasmussen at, at, at Scott W. Rasmussen on Twitter, or I guess we call it X now. Uh, X, but yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't trained myself yet. I still call it Twitter. <laughs> I can't help myself. Do you tweet on X? I don't know. I, these are, these are, we have to pull on that maybe. Yeah. Um, this one was very important because I do think we are in a moment for the first time, uh, perhaps in a, in a half century or more, where parents aren't that convinced anymore that a college education is worth the five-time mortgage that they're going to pay for it. Uh, you had some really interesting data about what people think the primary purpose of high school education is and what they think it should be. The gap was shocking to me. Could you just uh, walk us through this, uh, this data you did? I think it's brilliant. Well, you know, we've done an awful lot of work on this issue and in this area. Uh, as everybody knows, since Glenn Youngkin became uh, governor, the notion that most voters think parents need a bigger say in their children's education is is uh, one thing. But we've begun to ask about, okay, what should a high school education be? 77% believe it's more important for a high school education to prepare students for careers than for college. Uh, pretty big gap. We've done other survey research that fits into this where voters say it is much more important to uh, create good jobs for people without a degree uh, than it is to make sure everybody can go to college. And one of the things, I, I think this is something that we're starting to see in the, you know, the, the gap, the working class gap. People who are um, in the educated elite have a much higher opinion of the need to get everybody into college than most voters do. Voters are telling us that by the time you should graduate from high school, you should be able to, you know, read, write, and arithmetic. You should be able to have the social skills needed to work and function as an adult. And if high schools aren't doing that, well, then parents should have the ability to find a school that will help them get there. Yeah. Uh, Mike Rowe, I think a decade ago, started to highlight that this uh, sentiment was building in America. And I think you, you've captured it better than anyone. The difference between the numbers of what people think is going on in high school and what it should be is is pretty darn, pretty darn enlightening. You got another one. And I like this one because I've been spending a lot of time talking to U.S. intelligence and law enforcement that are 
fighting counterintelligence war, particularly with China, but it's not limited to China, Qatar and some other countries. Uh, and they use a term called elite capture. And really what it is, is uh, foreign powers trying to take elite people in America and uh, woo them until they become their sort of secret unwitting lobbyist to influence U.S. government on behalf of a foreign power. But uh, elitism in general is becoming a bigger issue. You rolled out, I think, uh, and this is, uh, I think, groundbreaking in what you're doing. You are doing polling on the 1% of elites. And I want you to describe what that population is and looks like. How do you measure it? And then what have you found so, so far in this elite world of America? And, and let's start by being clear about what it's not. It's not these are not the wealthiest one percent in America. This is a, a the influential one percent. Uh, they are people who have a postgraduate degree. What in all of our research, uh, the people with a postgraduate degree are have different views than people with a bachelor's degree or anybody else. Uh, people who live in a densely populated urban area, 10,000 people per square mile or more. This is not Des Moines. Uh, you know, this is the power centers, places like Manhattan and parts of D.C. Um, and it's people who make more than $150,000 a year. Uh, they, people who are in this world are very influential. They are the leaders of the uh, federal government. Uh, they are the leaders on, on corporate boards and in all sorts of dynamics. And to say their views are out of touch with most Americans is a gross understatement. Uh, half of this group believes that there is too much individual freedom in America today. Um, and, and a subset, the group, the group among this elite that talks politics every day, 69% say there's too much individual freedom. So the people who are engaged in this elite world think the problem is that people like you and I, John, have too much freedom. Um, I guess they don't like what we say sometimes. Isn't that amazing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And on forum, by the way, just on, on foreign policy, um, very few Americans think that China is anything but an enemy. But that's not true in the elite world. Uh, among those elites who talk politics every day, about half of them see China as an ally. Getting right to your point about, you know, these these people who are in effect lobbying for them. They've been captured. It's fascinating. And again, I applaud you. These are some of the most innovative polls I've seen done. And, and they're so relevant to the discussion that we're having in this election, and quite frankly, in the discussion of what sort of Washington we're going to create in the future, because this election really is about big government or shrunken government, and it's going to be interesting to see which one prevails. I want to turn to uh, a guy who's not a pollster, but I think sometimes has a good sense of maybe the trend lines in America. Jamie Dimon knows how to make money, of course, uh, <clears throat> but he also sometimes is able to capture the uh, aha moment that maybe so many people in the country are ignoring. Um, he has been warning that uh, the biggest mistake Democrats are making is insulting all the MAGA voters who actually support Donald Trump, suggesting they're stupid or an unpatriotic or trying to kill democracy. His warning was very stark. Now, I think he comes from a position of, I want to win the election, I'm a Democrat. But there is something larger here that the more the elites attack MAGA nation, the more MAGA nation doubles down on the agenda, uh, the Democrats are actually strengthening MAGA, if I'm reading the data right. Yep. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the appeals of Donald, Donald Trump to many people is these voters feel that the government is harassing them. 
And when they look at Donald Trump being uh, pushed around or being charged with things, it's not just that they think he's on our side. They think he's going through what we're going through on a different scale, of course, different level of visibility. Uh, I don't think there is, you know, a full appreciation of, of how uh, among the elites, among about how people feel about that administrative state. Uh, you know, people around the country think we're supposed to be a land with consent of the governed, not a place where, you know, a bunch of guys in Washington can just write up some rules without having anybody uh, sign off on it. Um, and so that's becoming a bigger issue, and it plays out more in specific cases than as a general uh, general trend. But Jamie Dimon, absolutely. He sees something is coming. He absolutely want, wants the Democrats to win. And he is, remember, Bill Clinton uh, started sounding similar alarms in 2016. You guys can't do this. Uh, I mean, look, if you're trying to to win someone over, you don't do it by saying they're stupid. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that is that uh, is one of the easiest truisms of politics, though it seems to be absent from a, a certain part of the political block today. All right, I just want to uh, put a crystal ball out there, and I know that it's impossible to use data to have a crystal ball, but I think people have three or four questions. And I think the first is, uh, is Joe Biden going to be the nominee or is Michelle Obama going to sweep in and save Democrats in July? Um, <laughs> well, I I do not believe Michelle Obama is going to be the nominee. Whether it's not, whether it's Joe Biden or not is not quite as sure. Uh, you know, we did polling years ago uh, when Laura Bush was extraordinarily popular. I remember, yeah. And and um, we asked about her as a first lady, and she got these off the charts favorables. And then we asked if she were to run for president, what would you think? And her favorables instantly fell dramatically. Uh, same thing happened with Hillary Clinton, by the way. When she was Secretary of State, she was getting pretty good reviews from a lot of people who wouldn't normally like her. Uh, but as soon as she started running, her numbers dropped. And I believe the same would happen to Michelle Obama. Um, and so she she will not be the nominee. I think it's, barring some real shock, going to be uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's um, I think that's probably right. And I, I agree. I, I think there's another element to I don't think Michelle Obama's belly burns for politics. I think she's been honest about that in the past. And you got to really have some metal if you're jumping into the frying pan. And uh, I don't think that's you know, she's been clear in the past that that isn't for her. I, I think I take her at her word at that. All right. The second one is. If Donald Trump is convicted, it's a question I get maybe 50 times a day. Can it or will it change the uh, dynamic in the race and how so? Now, that's a lot of questions, but just you, you have some general sensitivities on this, you know, from the polling. What happens if he gets convicted between now and November on something? It depends on what the something is. Um, if it is about uh, leaking national security information, sharing documents, that, you know, in ways that he shouldn't have, in ways that seem dangerous, um, that could have an impact. Um, if it's some of the stuff about his business dealings or any of these other things going on, I don't think uh, <laughs> has much impact at all. It, it, nobody's surprised by it. Uh, and, you know, the other fact with all of this, uh, sometimes uh, Joe Biden and his party sound almost like they're saying 
politics was noble and pure until Donald Trump arrived. Yeah, uh, that um, one. That voters don't believe that. No, they don't for a yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> they believe Joe Biden's corrupt. They, most voters think both of them are corrupt. So it, it doesn't have much of an impact. Yeah, there's no nobility in politics. It's it's, it's a contact sport. And that's it. Um, it's right. Only among pollsters. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And some political journalists who enjoy their job every day. <laughs> I love the I love the common sense. All right, the last one, I think, is um, becoming more pronounced for the first time. Uh, uh, two years ago, when I talked about the government sometimes is being weaponized against the country, um, I got, oh, that's such a Donald Trump talking point. But for the first time, I'm seeing people on the left and in the center saying, you know, I'm really kind of worried that our government's a little bit out of control. And I've never in the 35 years, 40 years that I've been a reporter ever saw that at a visceral political level, but it does seem to be spreading that there's some belief that government's just too big, too wasteful, too stupid, uh, and maybe doing things that uh, are too partisan for our own good. Is there a, a growing rumble beneath the tectonic plates of American politics right now that maybe more than just the MAGA nation thinks that government has gotten a little bit too big for its britches? Um, yes and no. You can you can go you can easily overstate it. Uh, but when we ask about the investigations about Donald Trump, um, a lot of people, even people who are Democrats, will say it's politically motivated. Now they might say he deserves it, that he's guilty, but they're still. And when we ask about the investigations of Hunter Biden and President Biden, we get the same kind of plurality saying something's wrong here. Um, I think there's two extremes. Uh, people on the right talk as if this is a huge issue and it's going to, you know, and they're ready to tear down the FBI uh, or tear down some people other agencies. No, the F a majority of voters still have a positive vision of the FBI. Uh, the flip side, Stu Rothenberg uh, wrote the other day that, you know, one reason to be for Biden is that he would uh, never use the power of government against his political enemies and would never seek to intimidate the press. And I read that and I'm thinking, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may have I may have some examples in my own personal career of, uh, of a political leader <laughs> trying great. to intimidate a journalist, but that's personal to me. So uh, you're right. Yeah, I think they're. But I think and I think so. I think it's it is an issue. I like the way you put it earlier. It's rumbling. It's there. People are kind of unhappy with it, but it is not. Uh, it's not immigration. It's not top tier issue. Yeah, it's amazing how discerning the American voter are. They can really put things into the buckets where I think common sense tells you to put. I think the biggest mistake people in Washington make is they think American voters are dumb and they are not dumb. They are they're right on it. And, you know, they may not be as up to all the details, but they they, they know what's going on in this country. Um, last question, because it is becoming an issue in Georgia. If there becomes evidence that the Biden White House uh, facilitated, assisted, encouraged or outright directed uh, the Georgia prosecution, which there's a, the, the basis for this question is real, right? There's literally a billing that says the prosecutor met with the White House twice. Um, if that were to become pronounced, does that sort of go into the sort of Nixonian sort of Watergate break-in sort of thing? Or, or do people compartmentalize that uh, and not really consider it as part of the bigger picture? It would have to be something very clear-cut and very damning. No ambiguities about it. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, well, you know, with all of these things, and, and I like the way you said the voters are discerning, you know, people don't like the way politics is, but they also recognize the way it is. And so it's saying to them a politician is abusing office in some way isn't like the most shocking thing they've ever heard. I think they've come to accept some of it, or, or, or that's not surprising to me. Um, uh, I, I think they, there's a good sense, a healthy dose of skepticism to politics, which probably is good for the country that our voters understand that it's not what it sometimes looks to be. And um, it's, it's fascinating. Well, uh, Scott, you always bring some of the most interesting understandings of our country and, and its electorate. It's uh, always an honor to have you on. And I just want to remind people, before New Hampshire, you called it. So you had it right again. <laughs> Good to have you on, my friend. Talk again soon. We will. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We got a good one coming up right around the corner. Liz Harrington, chief spokeswoman for President Trump's campaign, right after these messages. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day. And I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick house nutrition and of course field of greens all you got to do to take advantage of this offer visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code just news that's promo code just news at fieldofgreens.com don't wait go to fieldofgreens.com today use the promo code just news for 15 percent off folks if you owe back taxes fair warning you're not going to like this the irs is mailing millions of pay up letters millions i say then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. 
All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. We had a good discussion at the top of the show about really what happened in New Hampshire last night, both historically, Donald Trump winning like no other Republican non-incumbent has in the history of this country. No one has ever taken Iowa and New Hampshire back to back. And and by the way, the president did it with 50 plus percent of the vote in both races. But also what happened with Nikki Haley, who really, if you took away the crossover vote and the independent vote, the Democrats tried to gin up for this election, would have been much lower, only about 20 5% of registered Republicans were voting for Nikki Haley. What does that tell you? Nikki Haley's not connecting with the base of the party. Donald Trump owns the base of the party. And even a whole bunch of Democrats trying to put their thumb on the scale couldn't tip the election last night. We thought we'd go right to the source of the campaign on where Donald Trump goes next. We're very lucky to be joined by the president's national spokeswoman, Liz Harrington. Liz, great to have you on the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. You know, I think a lot of people were worried, well, maybe the mainstream media would spin last night as not a good night for Donald Trump. But the headlines this morning are pretty clear. He's got this thing firmly in grip. They used strengthened his grip. There are a lot of positive headlines. I think the mainstream media seems to have come to the conclusion that Donald Trump's going to win this in spite of the media's objections. Am I uh, reading that right? Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, it's it's really hard to spin uh flat out lies when people can see the truth for themselves. Right. I mean, you had that's why President Trump, he had to go out there and say what had just happened. I mean, look, at she just got crushed again. She's acting like she won. I mean, this is crazy. And so when people see that again and again and again, and then they have the contrast of seeing President Trump, who's actually telling you the truth. They just it's very difficult for them to get around it. And the fact remains, this was supposed to be, they promised, uh, Nikki Haley victory. This was supposed to be the state that never Trump, you know, this was their shot. And she still got crushed, even with dirty tricks, even trying to get a bunch of never Trump Democrats who promised to not vote for Nikki Haley in a general election, but only wanted to vote against Trump. And she's lost by historic margins. I mean, that's what's incredible. He broke the record that Bernie Sanders held from 2016, uh, not just by percentage, but by raw vote totals. This movement is incredible. You had an electorate that was not majority Republican, and yet he got way over the majority of the vote. That's what people are, I think, if they are missing anything, that's what they're not realizing. This is a movement to be reckoned with. This is why they're trying to stop him and take him off the ballot and throw him in jail for what? Not a crime, but for exercising his constitutional oaths and duties. It's amazing, John, and there's nothing that can stop this movement. And I think the fake news media is kind of starting to realize that they got to they got to move pivot to plan B, whatever that might be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really, I think there also was an appreciation for people who cover politics that what Donald Trump accomplished last night is unprecedented in history. And uh, Ronald Reagan didn't do it in 80. And he's always the the gold standard for Republican races. I think it's just, you know, historically unprecedented. And I think when you look at all the other things that the president has navigated for criminal cases, the January 6th debacle and all that, that he is stronger now than any two and the last two times that he ran. He actually has, I think, a polling support that exceeds his past two 
elections, which is is pretty remarkable. I want to dig into some numbers. One of the surprises last night, not for me, but I think for other reporters, Nikki Haley's a woman. She's going head to head with Donald Trump. And the female vote block last night split evenly among them. Haley didn't win the women vote. How important is that to dispelling some of the myths about Donald Trump having problems with women voters? Absolutely. So I think there's always this, you know, notion that is so untrue that President Trump can't win suburban moms and all of this nonsense. Suburban moms do not want to live in a third world country. <laughs> they want to be safe. They want a future for their kids. Uh, they don't want their kids to be sent off to in, in wars far away uh, where no one even knows why we're there. Uh, it's just common sense. And President Trump's message really is so attractive to everyone. And it really just shatters this idea that Nikki Haley is somehow more electable. She is unelectable, <laughs> as these two uh, contests just showed, number one. But in the general, she's unelectable. She would not have MAGA, which is the biggest political movement in American history. But she also can't win women when a head-to-head matchup with President Trump. She can't win these other blocks that they say we have to win. We will win. We are going in to go to places as we move this campaign forward that a Republican nominee has never gone into. And we're going to have success. Why? Because everyone everywhere in this country sees what's going on now. They want a solution. They want something different. And we're going to be able to go into the cities. And it's not just the suburbs. That is not what's going to decide this election. It's everywhere. It's everybody across this country waking up and and knowing exactly what we could have and how much better it can be. President Trump's leading that fight. And on every metric, everybody feels it. All the things that they've done over the past four years, you mentioned his polls have never been better. And they see it for themselves in their daily lives how our country's being destroyed. And every day the border is open. Every day they're cut off our oil and gas. Every day that they uh, wreck this economy with inflation, starting more wars, conflicts overseas, people see it and they see the truth and they say, hey, I know what it was like under President Trump. I had more money in my pocket. We had peace. We had stability. We had a secure border. And he was real and he followed through. So it's so attractive, not just, of course, to women voters, but to all demographics that no other candidate in either party is going to be able to attract. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, I've seen some polling data that would suggest that there are polls out there that suggest that President Trump had a problem with suburban women. But then you go to something like last May, I was in Philadelphia, the president is with Moms for Liberty, and he enters a room where... By my own, just sort of working the room, uh, about 60, 70 percent of the people at the time said they were leaning towards Governor DeSantis and you know, where, where a lot of this school choice and parents' rights movement began. And by the end of Donald Trump's speech, the room is standing on its feet. Every woman, regardless of whether they said they thought they were leaning towards DeSantis, is just standing. And it gets like 15 or 17 or 18 standing ovations over a 35-minute period of the speech. There is just, I think, the, the, the dynamic is 
you know, maybe people who haven't had the contact or the touch from Trump in the last couple of years hasn't, you know, hasn't been in the community. He comes through. And once you start to hear him, it seems like he flips people, even who might have, because of the bombardment of media, become skeptical. The second they hear what he's talking about, it seems to really connect. And I think what's really remarkable is to see in the polling data last night that Donald Trump has defined the issues upon which this election is going to run. Everybody keeps saying, well, it's the economy's number one. But in two consecutive states, one in the center of the country, one in the Northeast, immigration was the number one issue. Who set immigration as the number one issue? Donald Trump. Now you see the voters saying, that's what brought me to the polls. He's right. How important is it that this election is going to be on Donald Trump's terms? It's not going to be on Russia collusion. It's not going to be on Ukraine impeachment. It's going to be on Joe Biden's border and other policies. Well, because it's it's more than just his terms. It's the people's terms. Right. And that's what you're I think you're getting at this connection he has with the people and why when you when you hear him and you go and you see him, you're like, yes that he is giving me voice that you may not if even realize, but it resonates because it's true. And so absolutely, I think you can't get around it. This man, I mean, what they've tried to do to him and all the smears and lies, oh, he's a racist, he's a misogynist, all this nonsense, the lawfare, the disgusting accusations that they've hurled at him, and yet, they cannot define him. People do not believe them that he is the most popular president in our history by pure vote totals. There's no getting around it. And our movement is only grown since then. And again, you have that comparison of what it was like when he was president and to what it is like now. And you just also have, they can't get around. What's remarkable, John, is they don't cover this invasion. They hardly talk about it. You have a handful of reporters that are getting it out there. But it is, I mean, every single day. Remember when he was president, they tried to, it's a manufactured crisis, right? They they would try to manufacture issues, and yet they don't even cover something, and yet it's the most important issue to voters. Why? Because they're living it. They see it. If we don't have a border, we don't have a country. And it affects so many different things. And people are saying, we cannot, this country cannot endure it. It, We cannot. We have to have the rule of law. And so it's just so inherent. And it drives people. And because they know we have to course correct and do it very quickly. Yeah. It is pretty remarkable. I want to turn to just something that's not quite Trump related, but it created quite a stir last night. Obviously, Carrie Lake, an important surrogate and friend of the president, and of course, in good position to take a U.S. Senate seat in Arizona. There's a tape recording out there where the Arizona GOP chairman clearly seems to be offering her money to get out of the race. What sort of effect? I mean, Arizona has been a problem for a while. There's the McCain, you know, sort of mob left behind there that you know, John McCain was in that state a long time. Remnants of his political machine are there. They've never been pro-Trump. And now you got this sort of scandal along with you know the problems that were in Maricopa last time. Is there a moment now where the Arizona Republican Party might see some changes? Well, it's interesting because President Trump is going to Arizona this week. He will be there on Friday. I think he's going to give a really important speech. I think as you just kind of rattled off some issues, 
Arizona is kind of in the belly of the beast for the past couple of years, along with Georgia and some of these other states. There's a real battle going on in these states and nothing. It's not always the way it seems. And we just need real truth. Uh, I think Carrie is going to do a Ask Me Anything. I think I just saw her put it out uh, because there's still a lot of questions here. It's like, well, number one, this happened a while ago. Why Why is this only coming out now? This guy has been able to lead the Arizona Republican Party for a long time. Who are these people back east? Let's start naming names. The people deserve to know, and they deserve to know what they can do to actually hold people accountable. So I think that something really powerful can come out of all of this. I'm really excited for his trip. Uh, It's also funny, John, the fact that uh, Nikki Haley, uh, one of the reasons he's going to be out on the West Coast, Nikki Haley just didn't even mention Nevada. (laughs) There's there's another caucus before South Carolina. Well, she seeded it. Yeah, so... so He'll be 3-0. We absolutely, and we we're not slowing down. So he's going to have a great trip this weekend, uh, and yeah, I guess stay tuned. I think it's going to. I think it's really exciting times. Honestly, I really do. I think, I think the American people are just they're just ready. They're ready for real solutions. And President Trump has been leading this movement, and I, I think, like you said, the best is going to come. I, I really do believe that's true. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Now the question is, given that the president has so easily won the first two and often the most difficult primaries of the election season, does he continue to focus on Kerry Lake? Because obviously he knows how to punch and punch hard. Or does he do a Nikki who and just ignore Nikki Haley and go right at Biden so that he can you know, really focus and move into a general election posture. What what do you think the campaign strategy will be dealing with now that, you know, Nikki Haley's 30 points behind in South Carolina? Is she even worth considering spending time on right now? You know, it's it's amazing. Clearly, she's been funded by Democrats. She is not much different than Democrats and the people who are running our government when you actually get down to what she would do. Uh, and her only role in the race right now is clearly to help Democrats and try to hurt the Republican nominee. And this is not a competitive primary. It never was. A lot of people, you know, made a lot of money and lit some donors' money on fire, but she thinks maybe that's sustainable. We're going to keep keep doing what we're doing, and we take nothing for granted. Uh, we'll deal with whatever, I guess, she decides to do, but I think it's going to it's going to be pretty clear uh, when you have a few days after that, you know, the dust settles. What are you going to do? There's no path. Uh, Caroline Levitt said it beautifully on TV today. Uh, just tell us, tell us what's the path. There is none. So the people are smart. They get it. Listen, the RNC chairwoman said it last night. When the head of the National Republican Party says there's no path for Nikki Haley, that's pretty, you know, you know me, the RNC chair stays neutral. But that was a, a moment last night on Fox News around 11 o'clock. You've got the Speaker of the House saying, let's get this thing done with. The pressure to force her from the race is large. Do you think, despite all of her stiff upper lip last night, that she's probably starting to absorb the magnitude of the people who want to get her out? I think so. Look, you know, it's something kind of similar, I think, happened to DeSantis. You know, he got up there and gave a very defiant speech for 
getting crushed by 30 points, you know. And then out he was. You know, hey, and then he came out and he he did the right thing. And he, and you know, he's, you got to, reality is going to end up smacking you in the face sooner or later. That's just what it is. And people need to, I think, just put their egos aside, put whatever other agenda aside and just tell the truth. You know, just tell the truth. You're, you're up there lying. You have no path. You're, you're taking money from a lot of people who do not want this country to succeed. And so she should be held accountable for that. You know, why do you keep taking money from interests like Reed Hoffman? I mean, a major Democrat donor who's launched despicable lawfare against President Trump. You're, you're choosing sides here. And the people, the voters are a lot smarter than that. They're, it's just going to hurt her even more. So hopefully she, you know, sees what it is for what it is, but it doesn't change what we're going to do. We're going to go out directly to the people and we're going to make America great again. It's pretty remarkable. There's no doubt about it. Leaning into the general election, obviously 10 months is feels like a long time, but it's going to go away like in a second, in a blink of an eye. What are the most important goals for the Trump campaign to get the entire Republican Party, the entire electorate ready for the November election? Early voting, obviously a new push on that. What are the things that the Trump campaign is focused on even as it tries to wrap up the primary? Well, I think it's going to be a lot of what we've already done, which has been absolutely historic. So the the campaign team has just been absolutely amazing, and they've built up teams in in every state. The infrastructure is crazy, isn't it? Yes, and and very smartly, you know, with the you know, we haven't been able to have the whole because they had this kind of fake primary going. <laughs> know we haven't had all the resources that we should however that's okay we've been putting in the groundwork i think the campaign team has just been amazing and they're going into each state and i think the number one thing which is our is our on our side is is president trump we have the leader of the largest greatest political movement in our history and so he really guides this He will go in places, like I said, that no other Republican candidate has ever gone. And he's going to continue to defy uh, all of these different markers. And I think it's just going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. The Supreme Court still has to weigh in on eligibility for the ballot. It seems like every legal expert, liberal, centrist, independent, conservative all think that the Supreme Court's going to be pretty clear on this. But getting that off the plate soon, that's important, right? Because that takes that issue away from the Democrats. What about the court cases? How does the president navigate the court cases while continuing to run for president? And he continues to do what he, what he's done, which is showing up really on behalf of the people because they are able, they think, to do this to him because they'd like to do this to anybody who gets in their way. So I think it's really about exposing them, uh, telling the truth of what's really going on and fighting them with real law. I think it's going to be really powerful uh, to see. I mean, look how much it's backfired already. It's unbelievable. And it's just by simply, you know, he didn't have to show up these bogus civil cases and the lawfare case that I mentioned too, funded by Reed Hoffman, but by him going there, it's it's very important that he does that because he's able to get the truth out. And so 
you know, the lawyers come up with their strategies and I'm not privy to all that all the time. But I just know that President Trump is fighting on this. There's nothing going to stop him. There's nothing going to slow him down. And he's going to campaign harder than anyone else, even while dealing with all of this. And obviously, we want a a favorable ruling with the Supreme Court. (laughs) John, they're the people's elections. The people get to decide who's on the ballot, not some unelected bureaucrats, some unelected judges in Colorado. I mean, it's it is we do not have a constitution if that's allowed to stand. The Supreme Court is supposed to rule uh, on the Constitution. So we're, we're looking for a favorable ruling if they follow the law. So important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think all the experts I've talked to, including people on the left, think there's not much doubt where the court will come down. But it's important to get that off the table and go there. Do you have a sense of what the theme will be in Arizona? Because I think Arizona is really trending strongly back to Trump into the MAGA movement. And there seems to be lots of opportunities out there. There's school choice. There's parents' rights. There's the border, of course. Uh, The president obviously has made the border the issue that it is today. What do you think his theme will be as he goes back? Back into Arizona on Friday? I think the border is certainly all those issues, but the border in particular is going to be a big one. Uh, I think he's going to hit on some of the trafficking issues as well, drug trafficking, human trafficking, because I mean, people don't remember he was so strong on this issue with executive orders. Uh, and we had the strongest border and it made a lot of powerful people not very happy. Um, but he's going to do it again. And I, so I think he'll speak to a lot of those issues because the border is so encompassing. It's not just the economy that it affects, obviously the rule of law, that's our fundamental sovereignty, but the drugs, our enemies, what they're being, being able to do with a wide open border. It, it, it is an invasion. It is such a travesty what's going on right now. But uh, I think that's going to be a big part of his speech, but all those core issues. I mean, he is able to lay out a vision unlike any other other person. And because not only does he have a track record to prove he can get things done and, and be successful in all these fundamental issues, uh, but he has even better ideas, more ways to give the power back to the people. And I think that's ultimately what it's all about. Yeah. And particularly parents. I know so many parents are excited about the education agenda that the president has put together. It's so different, so starkly contrasted with that of Joe Biden and the teachers unions. And Right. Just common sense. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's really noticeable. Well, Liz, it's always a great honor to have you on. We learned a lot. This has been a consequential eight-day period in election history, and the president comes out clearly firmly in charge of his own destiny now. And it's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the campaign. Can't wait to get you back on real soon again. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thanks a lot. Let's talk to you soon. All right, folks, AMAC Wednesday and Bobby Charles. You never want to miss that. It's a great way to finish the Wednesday podcast. We'll have that after these messages. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. 
My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner and bam, your home is not in your name and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at signup. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Folks, Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. It's Wednesday, so you know what it is. It's AMAC Wednesday. Our good friends at the Association of Mature American Citizens join us every week at this time to give us a great analysis of what's going on in the news and maybe some of the stories, some of the dynamics in this great country that aren't being talked about enough. I think that's one of the great things that AMAC does. It is so prescient in identifying issues coming over the horizon that we need to address before they crush us or set us off track. And today is no different. We're joined by one of my good friends. I think he's one of the most important voices in Washington, whether as a congressional investigator, a appellate court clerk, assistant secretary of state, or now the national spokesman for AMAC, where I'm a proud member. Joining me right now, Bobby Charles. Bobby, great to have you back on the show. John, it's great, great to be back and in a exciting times. Oh, it is exciting. I'll tell you, every moment there's something uh, clicking in this uh, town of Washington. I want to get to some big issues that you and I have been talking about. But before we do that, I want to give everyone an update. We talked about this on the show about a week or 10 days ago. Uh, boot camp for boomers occurred down in the villages in Florida this past weekend. I'm hearing all sorts of raving reviews and people clamoring now all across the country saying, I want one in my community. Tell us, how did it go down at the villages? What were the takeaways for the boot camp for boomers? You know, what a what a resounding success it was, John, and, and what a paradigm shift. I mean, what it really was, and, I, and AMAC will do many more of these, and I encourage people to become members because you get all the benefits, including benefits of participation in this kind of an event all over the country, I think, in time. But this one in Florida really drove home the idea that 
being active in preservation of the country is not only something we want to be, but something we can be. It was all the how-tos and the, and the this is what you do's and, and with people who are making right now a, a huge impact. Riley Gaines was there circulating among people, tell, talking about what you know, she did and does and needs to do. Uh, you know, Alan West, there were just dozens of conservatives who really make a huge difference in this country right now and really helping tutor and reinforce and give the details on how you tackle things at the state level, at the federal level, uh, even in a community. And, uh, you know, I've recently spent some time up here in Maine going to school board meetings, and I see again and again that the principles that they're driving home uh, in, in, in workshops like this one that AMAC just did, Boot Camp for Boomers, are needed, vitally needed, all over the country. So it was a huge success. I encourage people to join and then come to the next one. And uh, goodness knows, I mean, if there was ever a time for Burkean conservatives to step up and be heard, this is the moment. So very important. And I grew up in an uh, era where um, when I played sports, my, my baseball coach would say, you know what, you can't win the game as a player, if you're sitting on the bench, you got to get out in the field, you got to play. And I think that that's one of the resounding messages of these boot camps, which is you have to get out and play. And oh, by the way, we're going to give you the tools to play. You guys are really training people in how to be impressive uh, vote uh, observers, how to be impressive engagement um, uh, forces with your legislature, your Congress. People are not only getting a motivational speech, they're getting tactical information on how to be a good civic um, engager. And I think that that's something that's been missing from the system a lot of time. Even if people wanted to get involved, they're like, I don't know how to do it. You guys have solved that problem, haven't you? Well, I think so. And I think, you know, when you have a network of a couple of million people with tens of thousands in every state that believe in America and the Bill of Rights and the solvency of the country and all these things that we believe in, it, it, to borrow on your analogy, John, it's like being, it's kind of infectious also, not only to learn the tactics and the strategy and where you go with it, but to be around people who are all sort of thinking in their heart of hearts, put me in coach, I want to play. So that, that's what AMAC is all about, trying to get people empowered in their own right, uh, you know, a thousand angels to go out there and start doing, doing the things that need to be done. Yeah, it's such important work. All right, now let me turn to some things going on that people are scratching their head at. We've had a lot of court rulings the last week. People are going, what's going on with the courts? Texas, barbed wire, some of the other cases involving Trump and immunity. Tell us what you think is going on in the court system. Well, let me give you my bird's eye view, John, before I talk the Texas case, which is a rather unique and difficult case to make sense of. Um, I would tell you that there are at least three broad examples of what I'll call a rumble in the rails. We are losing respect for trust in faith in rule of law in this country. And it's because you have a party out there, the left wing of that party, that has infected the judiciary, has infected some state offices around the country, and is essentially undermining faith and trust in rule of law and in the judiciary. So a couple of quick examples. Up in here in Maine, where I am at the moment, you have a secretary of state who has decided that she will disenfranchise the entire population of the state. She's a young woman who has just decided, uh, appointed by a Democrat legislature, an arch-partisan, an anti-Trumper, She's decided that she is just going to knock him off the ballot single-handedly. And, and she's going to do it because she declared that he's an insurrectionist and that's that. And let's get on to the next piece of business. No, that is not the way we operate in a democracy. Okay. Yeah. If we don't get enough petition names, 
Her job includes knocking somebody off if they don't have enough names on the petition, but not deciding over, you know, subjectively that this is uh, this is an individual that she concludes as a non-lawyer, by the way, has violated Section three of the uh, 14th Amendment and therefore won't be allowed to be voted for by people. It, it's an absurdity. You can't. That's how democracies end, because you have dictatorial behavior and it, and it can happen at the state level. It can happen at the federal level. It can even happen at a local level, which is much typically much more accountable. But the reality here is you, you have 700 people on that particular issue, and Colorado did the same thing. You have seven Democrats on the high court. Four of them decided that they would just knock Trump off, and the Supreme Court's going to have to knock those people, all those decisions off their, off their little pedestal because they, they clearly violate the intent of the 14th Amendment, which was about Confederate soldiers who had killed 600,000 Americans. It had nothing to do with the kind of thing we we're talking about now. But if you look at that riot on January 6th, one of the most remarkable things is not a single individual arrested on that day, and there were several hundred arrested out of 120,000 people peacefully there, not a single one of them has been charged with insurrection. So how an official act by a president of the United States giving a speech after he was a candidate, having prepared the speech in the White House, giving it on the ellipse, which is federal property, and encouraging people also to be peaceful, how, can, how that can be termed insurrection when not a single individual, and of course no one's been charged because the charge wouldn't stick, uh, was ever charged with insurrection. It, it really makes an abomination of rule of law. And then you shift gears and you look at courts like the D.C. Circuit that has handed down three opinions in the last month, all of which are, 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 are clearly partisan opinions. Now, Justice uh, Roberts, who himself makes a point of being uh, as nonpartisan or as, as Democrat as he can be, despite being appointed by a, by a Republican, he himself in, in 2018, he made the big statement, he rebuked President Trump, said, look, uh, we don't have partisan judges, no such thing as an Obama judge. Well, now wind the clock ahead and look at the D.C. Circuit, which is an example of what's happening in the other circuits. Uh, and I clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit when it was a truly divided circuit. And what do you find? You have three cases recently. One had to do with presidential immunity. They decided, despite all the evidence going the other way, they decided that Trump's speech on January 6th, the Obama-Biden judges decided that uh, his speech uh, was not an official act and therefore needed to be adjudicated and they would have to figure out later if it was an official act. Well, that is clearly interfering with the election. The second one that they, they ruled on, which I find stunning, is they basically eviscerated 200 years of executive privilege assertions by a president by saying that Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor put in place rather illicitly, I think, by, by, uh, by Merrick Garland, I mean, he's a private guy, wasn't supposed to even be a special prosecutor, but he gets into that position. He brings two cases, one about classified documents, one about January 6th, and he sneaks around in a sort of a skulking way and goes to the servers, subpoenas material from the servers of the high-tech social media companies, never allowing of the private secret emails and, and, and texts and various things that were being sent back and forth by the White House internally, never allowing President Trump even to know that he was doing it so that he could, so that, and by the way, it eviscerates the privilege for future presidents too, not allowing them to assert executive privilege, which is an absolutely established right on the part of a chief executive. It, yes, it would have to be litigated, but, but, but you know what? He never even gave him that chance. And what happens? It gets appealed to the circuit court and you get four in an 11, an 11 judge panel, it's seven to four, with uh, the, all of the Obama and Biden judges saying that executive privilege can be eviscerated, Trump can be hammered by Jack Smith, no need for, for, for any accountability. And the other judges, 
By the way, and th those judges don't even write an opinion. They just let it happen. The other judges, all of whom are Republican appointees, say, wait a minute, judicial conservatism, the idea of honoring the Constitution, the text of the, of the prior case law needs to be asserted. And they write a series of dissents that explain you don't just do this. You don't just become partisan. And then the last one is just this last week, you have that exact same panel deciding that you can gag a presidential candidate when he feels that he's been mistreated by the justice system. I think most of America looks at the cases in Georgia, in New York, and these two Jack Smith cases and says, look, clearly politics are playing a role here. And clearly it needs to be articulated. This is a matter of public concern. Uh, you have a right to respond when someone comes after you. You have a right to confront. Well, the, 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 the D.C. Circuit just said, nope. Again, the Obama-Biden judges said, nope, uh, we're going to allow a gag order done by a partisan district judge against Trump to stand. So where does all that land you? It lands you with distrust of the federal circuit, distrust of the other circuits for the same reason, distrust of rule of law, and eventually it's going to push it up to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, and I, I guess I'll just say as a footnote, this January 6th committee that was supposed to review that event, uh, you know, the Democrats quickly cobbled together a committee and impeached President Trump in a matter of days when they, you know, and then they did all these hearings intended essentially to create a narrative that says this was an insurrection. But now we're finding out that they destroyed real evidence, which you cannot do under federal law. They misappropriated uh, federal evidence. They gave some of the, in order to hide them, they gave some of them to the Obama people, I'm sorry, to the Biden people, so that they could be redacted and, and retained by the White House. They did all this days before the, the Republicans got the gavel in the House. You cannot destroy or misplace or hide real evidence. That is a vi that is actually a criminal violation. And I kind of wonder whether a future Justice Department will look at people like Liz Cheney and some of these others and say, what in God's name were you doing? You, you, you're not allowed to take, I mean, under, under federal law, and I'll end on that, uh, under federal law, you have what's called Brady and Jenks evidence. If a prosecutor finds evidence which is exculpatory that will actually defend someone uh, if they release it, they are obligated by law, by case law and by the Constitution to disgorge that material and make it available. They didn't do that. They hid all this information from the public. So it turns out that the real narrative is that you have an illegitimate committee, partisan, that has intended itself basically to go after Trump and to destroy him. And I, I say again, it doesn't really matter whether that was Trump or Reagan or, or Theodore Roosevelt or Abraham Lincoln or Joe Biden. You are not allowed to distort the Constitution, destroy the rule of law on behalf of politics. And that's what's happening, John. It really is unnerving. And I think we have to stand up and say, look, this is not about an, an individual. This is about what we believe as Americans. And we have to believe, we must believe that we are a land of laws, not a land of, 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 of partisan hacks. Oh, there's no doubt. And I think, American, that's exactly what we, we want our institutions to fulfill the role they were put in place to do, not to fill the role of politics, which they weren't uh, put in place to do. And I think that struggle is at the heart of what's going to be settled in the 2024 election. I think we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, <clears throat> Bobby, got about five minutes left. I want to delve into the state of the Hunter Biden case. I think there are two, maybe three developments <clears throat> that are uh, a little bit uh shocking. I think one of them is something that Congressman Burleson of Missouri uh, revealed to us last week that in the 
financial uh, SARS reports, the suspicious activity reports that Treasury got. There were flags on money that Hunter Biden was paying to a whole of life insurance policy. And now the committee is looking to see if that whole life insurance policy was a backdoor to perhaps um, having uh, uh, payments go to Joe Biden or loans go to Joe Biden because Joe Biden on his financial disclosure form also discloses a whole of life insurance company. So it's an area of inquiry, not an area of proof. But normally we would say, well, don't worry about it. There's ethics rules and ethics governance that cover these sort of things. But the White House told us there was an ethics agreement in place to protect us, to protect the American public and to ensure that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden didn't know who was buying or selling his art. Uh, and now we found out that agreement didn't exist. George Burgess, the uh, art dealer, said, hey, Joe Biden called me. He knew what I was doing. Uh, and, oh, I never had an ethics agreement. The White House never talked to me about it. In fact, Hunter Biden demanded to know who his art buyers were, which was unusual. I'd never had another art seller ever asset of me. So normally you would say, don't worry about the White House because there's ethics in place. But when you find out they told us an ethics agreement place was in place and it didn't exist. What? Uh, how big a trust issue is this and how much should Congress jump into these issues of ethics uh, and ethics disclosures and waivers and conflicts of interest? Well, you know, John, ethics, uh, we, we speak about ethics and, and we hope that people know the difference between right and wrong and they have the judgment to exercise uh, that and we assume and we hope and we'd like to believe that our public servants have integrity. The truth is that these are not just ethical issues. These are legal issues. And uh, suspicious transaction reports, for example, like CMIRs and CTRs are very specifically in place in order to catch illegalities, not un unethical behavior, but illegalities. And the notion that you would be selling art in effect as a as a feint, as a foil in order to uh, basically collect money. I'll come back to Shakespeare. You know, uh, what a what a treacherous way. Uh, I can't remember the exact words, but what a treacherous wave uh, web is we weave when at first we do deceive. When you find or when you find smoke, there's fire. When you start to see three, four, five, six, eight, ten. Uh, legal violations and, and, and really efforts to disguise and to hide and to collect and to appropriate and then uh, apportion illegal monies from art dealers, from China, from Romania, from U Ukraine, from, and you understand that this includes the president of the United States in many of those transactions, either at a second tier or first tier, you have to stop. I mean, even a good honest Democrat independent needs to stop and say, am I going to be complicit in allowing not just all these ethical violations, but really illegalities? Am I going to allow, empower, encourage the abuse of the authority that was vested in these people as public servants? And, and I guess I would say to you, I hope and pray that 95% of the country would say no. And the other 5% would think hard about the decision they're making not to say no, because we are, again, it comes back to rule of law. We are either a country of laws where we respect the Constitution, what's right, what's wrong, what's codified as right and wrong in felony law, or we don't. And this president has, has participated, in the, and this first son, if you'll call him that, has participated in and, and helped to facilitate and been part of uh, what really would be, if, if in any other context, would be considered a RICO violation. It's a racketeering-style uh, way of sucking illegally money out of people, 
shaking them down, hiding it, and then reapportioning it. And, and then when you blend the foreign aspect of this, I was an intelligence officer, naval intelligence officer, it scares the crap out of me because you're talking about collecting money from people who are foreign, uh, not just foreign citizens, but tied to foreign governments. And it is, it is, I mean, it's a foreign corrupt practices issue. It's a federal bribery issue. It's perhaps even a more serious issue. And the notion that we just stand back and pretend that this doesn't matter. Of course, Congress should dive in on this. They should be at it every single day. And the American media, if they really are uh, law abiding citizens, ought to be looking at this themselves and saying, what the hell? I mean, this is not America. You know, I, we do not want Al Capone version two. We want America. Theodore Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, you know, Harry Truman, John Kennedy, uh, people who respect the law. Yeah, you're right. And uh, we had that respect. We had that deference to ethics that no matter what your political stripe was, it mattered that you, we all live to a singular standard of ethics. And today there's a lot of moral relativism to ethics and a lot of excuse making for things uh, uh, today. In, in an earlier generation, when you were in Congress, would anyone have been incurious if they found out the president's son had gotten $6 million from a Hollywood lawyer who allegedly was representing him, but now he's giving his client money? Uh, what would have Congress done in an earlier generation? Hell no, John. Everybody would have been interested in that. I mean, including the media, right? Uh, including the media. You know, I when I conducted the Waco investigation, which 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 I ran, you know, which was we, we joined some committees together and we dove deep into it. Believe it or not, one of the best reporters that reported on that entire episode and the things that had gone wrong uh, was a Washington, a senior Washington Post reporter. And, 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 you know, I at first was extremely suspicious, uh, thinking that there would be bias. But in the end, he proved to me that there were at that time, those, that generation is gone. Now they just, you know, come to a conclusion, Google it online and decide that that's their story. But in that day and age, people in, in interview, like you do, John, they went out, they interviewed people, they wanted the context, they wanted the understanding, they wanted to understand what was the violation of the law if there was one. And, and you know, so to be curious is a sign of intelligence. And lack of curiosity is not only a sign of stupidity, but, 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 but in, in some ways a willful uh, indulgence in, uh, in unethical behavior in and of itself. So, no, I knew Democrats who were willing uh, to dive in and look at things that were wrong in the Clinton administration. And I, I look for those people today and there's nobody there. Yeah, the White House uh, China fundraising scandal, a good example of, you know, everyone covered it because they were outraged that the White House would be used to make money. Today, there's a yawn that Joe Biden as vice president and president has used the White House to facilitate his son's uh, uh, business dealings. It's it's really remarkable. Got about 30 seconds left. You have set up a special offer at AMAC for anyone in the Justin News family to get a discount on a one, three, or five-year membership. I've got a five-year membership. Best bargain I've ever made. I encourage everyone listening today, if you like what Bobby uh, does every time he comes on the show, if you like what AMAC's doing with boot camps and other things, go join and become a five-year member. Match me on my five-year membership. You go to amac.us slash justnews, amac, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash justnews. Bobby, uh, in uh, just a quick uh, bow, can you t tie up a little bit of what AMAC means for anyone who joins? Yeah, look, you can save a lot of money. You can help save the country. If you want to be part of the winning team and you want to go to sleep at night feeling you are making a difference personally in, in ways that are both direct and indirect in saving this country, the Bill of Rights, the solvency of the country, by God, get out there and join AMAC. It's a, a dollar and a quarter a month, and you, in the end, get huge feedback as well as huge 
payback and you get you get a lot of benefits that yeah other groups will provide you those benefits but they're not the same kind of group they're not a group dedicated to the preservation the protection of of the things that our parents and our grandparents taught us were important yeah such important lessons you can save money but you can also save a country what a great line as we always get from bobby always wisdom and uh really clear understandable analysis bobby thanks for making this awac uh, amac wednesday very special great honor to have you on we'll be doing it again next week thanks for joining us Absolutely, John. And thanks for all the good you do every day. Uh, and thanks to your listeners. Yeah, well, I have a lot of fun doing what I do. I feel like uh, it's not a job, but just a, a lifestyle. And I love it. So thank you so much. And have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, my friend. It's hard to believe, but that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. I'm really grateful that each of you could join today. What a good conversation. We're all politics today, but for good reason. We'll have some scoops down the road, don't Despair. We're going to have some big reported investigative scoops in the next 24, 48 hours. But until then, you have a great night. Be sure to go check out AMAC memberships and support them because they're supporting us. AMAC.us slash Just News is how you do that. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Until then, God bless you and have a great, great evening. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34-plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. And it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu 
hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews.